name is Trin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. I'm going to be sharing a word with you today uh, entitled, I Got It From My Dad. And we are going to be in the book of Matthew today, the gospel of Matthew. So what I want you to do, and I can already hear the pages just flipping like a million little butterflies. Um, I want you to turn there in your own Bible. You need to bring your Bible to church you need to bring your Bible to church. Now, I don't care what method you bring your Bible in, okay? This is my, my paper Bible, uh, my, my good old-fashioned Bible, but I also have my Bible on my device, and I love that. I love uh, both methods of study. There's an incredible resource called the YouVersion app that you can get on your phone that gives you so many different versions of the Bible, but you need to be in your word. I need to be in my word. We should be following along. You need to bring your Bible to church. When I was a, a little kid, they would always tell us, you, you wouldn't go into battle without your sword, would you? Which was like a really violent thing to say to a bunch of first graders. Um, but it's true. You wouldn't go into battle without your sword. So, uh, so don't go into life without your Bible. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to start today, and we're going to bounce around in the gospel of Matthew. So a little bit of context, a little bit of background for you today. Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7 are what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters that cover a sermon that Jesus gave um, while he was on the Mount. Uh, it was, that was a joke. Okay, let's try it again. It was a sermon he gave while he was on the Mount. Thank you. We'll work on it. Um, but he was giving a message. He was up on a mountain. He was giving a message to all these droves and droves of people that had begun to follow him. Um, and it was a, a revolutionary message. Uh, he was challenging their beliefs. He did a lot of, you have heard it said, but I say. He was, he was challenging the people. And then right near the beginning in Matthew chapter 5, there's this list that Jesus gave that we traditionally call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is a list of people that Jesus said, are blessed and why they're blessed and how they're blessed. And I want to focus on Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. I want you to look there in your Bible, and I'm going to read it from mine. And it says this, blessed are the peacekeepers, for they will be called children of God. Right? No, it doesn't say that. It, this is why you got to bring your Bibles to church. It doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. See, I can put anything I want on the screen. I could put blessed are the trinities up there. It doesn't say that. Matthew 5 chapter 9 says blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Don't take my word for it, church. Don't take anybody's word for it. It is our privilege as Christians to be in our word and to read our Bible. And so don't ever take anybody's word for it. You need to dive in on your own. Blessed are the peacemakers. Well, what are, what are peacekeepers? What are peace, peacekeepers? Uh, peacekeepers are, it's like usually in regards to like the military or the police force. Peacekeepers are those that are trying to keep the peace. They're trying to keep everything calm and quiet. They're trying to quell unrest. They're trying to keep everything under control. And it's really easy to become a peacekeeper in our own lives. Other, other titles include people pleaser or self-preservationist. We work very, very hard to keep everything under control. We try to keep everyone happy. 
We don't rock the boat, which sounds like inaction. But those of you that have done it know that it is, takes a lot of effort to keep a boat from rocking. We use politically correct language. We avoid difficult topics. We try to be tolerant of everything and everyone so that nobody feels bad at any time. And if someone starts to get angry or hurt, we do all we can to soothe them. We express approval, or at the very least, we avoid expressing disapproval for absolutely anything so that there's no conflict. And we pat ourselves on the back at the end of the day because we're exhausted and everybody is mostly quiet and everything is the same as it was yesterday, so we must be doing a great job as Christians, right? I want you uh, to go a little bit forward in your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. This is still Jesus speaking, and we're going to go into uh, verses 34 through 39. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34. This is, do not suppose that I, that's Jesus, have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So we need to unpack this because there's a lot here. So first of all, Jesus outright says he did not come to bring peace. Is that news to you? It's like, well, I guess all those Christmas carols were a crock because, you know. So let's talk about the word peace. The word peace here is the Greek word irene. Say irene. Irene. And it means, get this, peace. <laughs> and that is why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> it's just like a lot of words in our English language. It has multiple meanings. And so we can get confused about peace because in English, sometimes it means real reconciliation and sometimes it just means peace and quiet. It meant both of those things in the Greek language too. It was also, and I, I thought this was really interesting, um, it was also a common farewell in the Jewish culture. Even though it's a Greek word, it was a common farewell in the Jewish culture, wishing someone well as you depart. So, like if you've ever heard one of the cool kids be like, all right, peace, they were doing that. <laughs> they were... And, and then lastly, scholars actually, um, they believe the word irene has its roots in another Greek word, ero, meaning to join together. So this word can also have a biblical definition of to join. So that's a lot of different meanings for one word. So how do we know what the speaker means? How do we know what Jesus meant? Well, we have to look at context. And this is why it's so incredibly important to be in your word. We have to look at the setting. We have to look at who was speaking, why they were speaking, who they were speaking to, what was the cultural climate of the day, all right? So like when, um, when the sick woman touched Jesus' garment, you remember when the sick woman came up behind him and touched his garment, he's like, who touched me? And they were like, everybody's touching you. Um, and he said, no, power went out and she was healed because she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And he told her daughter, go in peace. 
And we know from context that that was, he was blessing her as they departed. He was saying goodbye, go in peace. When Jesus was blessing his disciples before he went up into heaven, before he ascended to heaven, he, he told them the Father was sending the Holy Spirit, and he said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, I do not give as the world gives. So we know from context that this was a different kind of peace. He was referring to real peace, to wholeness. So what's the context in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace? He didn't come to make everything quiet. Jesus didn't come to declare a ceasefire in your world. He didn't come to make sure that nothing was ever difficult for us. He he didn't come to make everything easy on earth. But then it says he wants family members to turn on each other. And you're like, well, I've got that down because of the mother-in-law thing, right? Um, But you're like, why would Jesus want family members to turn on each other? The answer is he doesn't want that. This is a direct quote from the book of Micah. Those of you that were following along in your Bibles would have noticed that those words, they were in a different format there in the middle of your Bible, and they had a little footnote. Those footnotes matter. They're not just getting in your way. Um, And that footnote tells us that this is a direct quote from the book of Micah. And that book is a prophetic book about Israel turning away and then turning back to God. And then Jesus brings some clarity, some context. He says, loving even a family member more than we love Jesus makes them unworthy of life with him. It's not that we aren't to love our family. It's that we get into dangerous territory when we prioritize even our loved ones above Jesus, when we begin to allow even our loved ones to speak into our lives and give us more direction than we allow the Holy Spirit of God to do. So Jesus didn't come to be a peacekeeper. He didn't come to make everything calm and quiet. He came to be a peacemaker. He came to draw out the sin and the brokenness in us and to replace it with real, lasting wholeness, real peace. And that requires hard work. It requires difficulty. It even requires discomfort and sometimes conflict because it challenges what we want in favor of what we need. It challenges what we want in favor of what we need. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 again. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for what? For they will be called the children of God. We will be recognized as children of God when we are peacemakers, when we are fighters that work hard to make real peace. We aren't afraid of conflict or discomfort that's necessary to bring oneness and wholeness to a relationship. Just a few verses after that in Matthew chapter 5, I want you to look at uh, verses 14 through 16. So this is still a part of the Sermon on the Mount. You're like, wow, there's a lot of scripture. It's church. Um, So Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You guys remember this little light of mine? It's a cute song. But letting your light shine usually isn't a sparkly experience. 
a lot of times it draws the kind of attention that we like to avoid. Like the employee that won't participate in underhanded office politics. Or the student that won't do it when everyone else is doing it. The parent that chooses to raise their kids by higher standards. The business owner that's determined to keep everything above board no matter the cost. The family member that won't just sit by during toxic family drama. Or the churchgoer that won't engage with criticism disguised as a prayer request. Here's a fun Sunday school question. Would you die for your faith? Would you die for Jesus? I grew up in the Christianity of the 90s and early 2000s. This was a, a different Christianity. We, there were a lot of singing, talking vegetables. Um, and just, and like, that's a joke you don't get unless you were a part of it. Right? Amen, girl. So, it was a weird time. But there was uh, also some really deep, heavy stuff that happened. Many of you may remember the Columbine High School Massacre of 1999. Um, you might remember that two boys brought uh, weapons to school and began shooting. In total, they killed 12 students and one teacher, and then themselves. And uh, there's regret in me that that is not a, a bombshell thing anymore. Uh, but at the time it was, and because the shooters were witnessed to have asked the question, do you believe in God? The idea of dying for faith became center stage in our culture. And more than once in church, as a young person, I was asked the question whether or not I would die for Jesus. And, uh, and again, I feel like that was a little bit loaded for a 13-year-old. But they were well-meaning teachers and leaders. They were trying to challenge us to commit to our faith in Jesus. But while they were asking us to consider the rather remote possibility that we might one day need to die for our faith, they neglected to spend a whole lot of time encouraging us to live for it. Matthew chapter 16 the words of Jesus again, starting in, in verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Now there's an idea in there that we just read in chapter 10 as well. It's the idea of taking up our cross. And when we read that, we as people that are maybe familiar with the Bible and know the story of Jesus, we think, yeah, take up our cross just like Jesus did. But here's something for you to think about today. Jesus hadn't been crucified yet. He, he said this before his crucifixion. The people he was talking to did not yet recognize the cross as a symbol of victory and grace. In context, the people he was speaking with would have recognized the reference to the cross as a symbol of pain, humiliation, suffering, punishment. And it wouldn't be until after Jesus' death and resurrection that they would really understand the idea of death leading to life. Now, we're privileged to have read the end of the book, to know the story. 
And so we know that living a life of daily taking up our cross will lead to eternal life. But first, we have to answer the question, would you die for your faith over and over and over? Will you live with discomfort and trial and difficulty, conflict and criticism, all that is necessary to bring peace to the world? Will you be a real child of God, a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper? I want you to turn all the way forward to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and, and, and many of you will recognize this as what we traditionally call the Great Commission. Starting in verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them, these are his followers, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Peacemakers aren't just making real peace between themselves and others. They're doing it to bring real peace between God and man. They're being the hands and the feet of Jesus. They're extending grace and asking people to choose him over everything else so that they can be irene, at peace, joined together with the Father. My husband, uh, Pastor Brian, is is missing today. You may have noticed. Um, it was actually his birthday last week. Happy birthday, Pastor Brian! And uh, and I sent him away uh, for a little weekend getaway. I sent him away. I sent him away um, with my my dad and my brothers. They went off for for a little bit of fun, and we missed them. Uh, but that's why Pastor Troy is missing. Pastor Troy is my dad. Um, and what's funny is like those of you that know that are like we get it you can quit telling us like but I'm always amazed um, that there's always a few people that don't know that had no idea that I'm Pastor Troy's daughter and I'm like why are you surprised I look exactly like him I do have a little more hair thank you <laughs> but I'm but I have his eyes I'm one of four daughters that look exactly like him. And my mom said she prayed and prayed with each of us that we would get his eyes. Um, And my mom and God have a special relationship. So, of course, we all got his eyes. I have my dad's hands. They're big. I have, here's something you never wanted to know, Raina. I have my dad's feet um, with a distinctive second toe that is longer than the first one. And the difference is not insignificant. It's great for picking things up, Johnny. It's not great for cute shoes. I've been told I have my dad's voice, that I talk like him. Um, And it's not that I'm trying to, like, imitate him, do an impression of him. It's just that that's the voice I've heard since the very beginning of my life. And so the question that I believe the Holy Spirit is asking us today is, do you look like your dad? Do you have his eyes? Do you see the hurting and the broken and look in them with love? Do you have his hands? Are you constantly reaching out to the world, stretching out, offering yourself? 
Do you have his feet? The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Are you always walking in the direction that Jesus is calling you to walk? Do you have his voice? When you speak, do people hear the grace and the love of Jesus? When the world sees you, do they call you a child of God? Do they recognize who you come from? Do they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven? Or would they be shocked to learn that you're a child of God? Would you die for your faith? Would you do it again and again and again every single day of your life, taking up your cross? And when people see that, would you boldly say, I got it from my dad. If you're listening to me today, you're in the room, you're on the campus, joining us online and you aren't a Christian, you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. This is not the most compelling case. You want me to die every day? Listen, I'm not a slick saleswoman, but I am an honest one. And I'm here to sell you on Jesus because it is difficult and it is uncomfortable. And it comes with the automatic assignment to make more disciples, not just if you're called into ministry, not just if you have an ordination. Every Christian is called to make more disciples, to tell the world about Jesus. It's also the only thing that makes life worth living. It's the only way to real peace, to being one with God, to having no sin between you, able to have a relationship with Him, which is why you and I were created in the first place. So whether you're willing to admit it or not yet, life isn't worth it without Jesus. And yes, you are required to love Jesus even above your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your son or your daughter. And that can feel counterintuitive, except that it's not. Because when you love Jesus and you take up your cross daily, he works in you. He makes you better, and then he makes you better, and then he makes you better. The Bible calls it going from glory to glory. So loving God more than your spouse makes you a better husband or wife. Loving God more than your parents makes you a better son or daughter. Loving God more than your kids makes you a better dad or mom. And loving God more than your friends, it makes you a better friend. And so the question then for those of you that haven't yet said yes to Jesus isn't, are you willing to die daily? It's, are you ready to really live? Are you ready for life to have real meaning and purpose, love and peace and joy? Are you ready for the promise of eternal life with God? If that's you, I'm gonna get real serious with you today. Because I'm gonna ask Pastor Kyler and I'm gonna ask Michelle and any other pastors in the room, if you would go over here to the yes table. And, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna ask you, if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, if you're a, if you're a kid, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult, if, if you've said yes to Jesus before and you've walked away, or if this would be the very first time, I'm gonna count to three, and I'm gonna ask you to get up and do something difficult. Walk all the way over here and say yes. And I've got a line of people here that would love to pray with you, that would love to give you a gift, that would love to talk with you about what the next step looks like because we don't abort babies 
here at this church. And so when you say yes to Jesus, we're not gonna say, all right, great, and then leave you be. We're gonna help, we're gonna foster, we wanna be there with you. You're considered a baby Christian and we're not gonna leave you alone to fend for yourself. We're gonna love you and we're gonna walk with you. We wanna help you, but you have to make that first step. And so if you haven't said yes yet, I'm just gonna give you the opportunity because there is no better time to start than right now. So I'm gonna count one. This is your opportunity. Two, you can grab somebody to come with you if you want. Three, anybody that needs to say yes to Jesus. That's wonderful. If you need to say yes to Jesus and you're joining us online, I wanna remind you that you can just write yes in the comments because we're here for you too. But seeing no one moving in the room, then it is my faithful assumption that that means everyone has already said yes to Jesus. And I wanna thank the team for being willing to pray. Since none of us are perfect and he is ever taking us from glory to glory to glory, I know he has some way he wants to speak to you today. I know he has some way that he's challenging you, convicting you, working on you. And so I'm gonna ask Anthony to take just a moment and, and, and play a song just to give us an atmosphere, but I'm gonna invite you, offer you the opportunity to sit quietly in the presence of God and hear what he would speak to you because you don't need me to tell you what God's saying to you. If you've said yes to Jesus, you have a direct line of communication with him. He has something he wants to say. You listen and respond. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to for blessing Cause Jesus you don't owe me anything and more than anything that you can do I just want you And I just want you Nothing else, and nothing else, nothing else will do. And I just want you. I want to hear your voice. Nothing else will do. And I just want you.
As we're closing out together today, um, I had the privilege of speaking this message at Modesto last night. Um, I love our Modesto campus. I have so many dear friends over there. Um, I just, I love being there. Um, and they were so gracious with me last night as I got a little ways into this message and began to snot and hack all over their stage. <laughs> it was horrible. They were like bringing me water and tissues on this day. It was terrible. I was so embarrassed. And um, you can kind of hear it in me now, but uh, what happened was um, every... <laughs> Every year here in the valley, from about Valentine's Day to Easter, I am miserable. Anybody else? Just miserable. Terrible allergies, and I have asthma. Does anybody else have asthma? Anybody an asthmatic in the room? And so I had not brought and did not have my inhaler. Um, and uh, I was like, Lord, what are you doing? I, I need you. Because um, I mean, I just every so often was just like, it was, it was really bad. And they were so gracious with me and God still moved. Um, but what happened was at the end of the gathering, they're praying and the Lord really brought to my mind asthma, asthma. I'm thinking I need my inhaler. And he reminded me that um, I, I was diagnosed with asthma as a kid. Um, I've had it all along. I've, I've carried an inhaler with me for years and years and years. Um, I've only used it probably a handful of times. And then um, my son was diagnosed with asthma, my five-year-old son. And um, I was like, oh man, you know, but the, the guy was basically like, you live in the valley. I mean, I thought when we moved here 15 years ago, we were moving to paradise, but this place is trying to kill you. It's like, look at the almond blossom. <sighs> um, it's bad. Um, and so they're like, he has asthma. He's going to need an inhaler. And I said, okay. And so I go to pick the inhaler up at the pharmacy and the, the pharmacist says, we need to show you how to use it. And I was like, okay, I know how to use an inhaler, but if, if that's what you have to do to give me the inhaler, that's fine. Give me your spiel. And I'm listening to them and guys, I didn't know how to use an inhaler. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad. Like we watched, my husband and I watched a show recently where they were trying to figure out why this lady with asthma couldn't breathe. And she was like spraying it on her neck, like perfume. It, it wasn't that bad. Okay. I know how to use it. Um, but they're telling me, okay, if he can't breathe, give him his inhaler. And I was like, got it. And they were like, if he's struggling to breathe, give him his inhaler. And I was like, Okay, uh, and then they were like, if, if he's getting uncomfortable breathing, give him his inhaler. And I was like, say what? And they were like, does he do any sports or anything? And I was like, yeah, he does martial arts. And they're like, give him the inhaler before he goes to sports. And I was like, but he can breathe then. And they were like, yes, and we'd like him to continue to be able to breathe. Wouldn't you? And I was like, actually, as his parent, that is one of my primary goals is to keep him breathing. Um, guys, I had no idea. I have lived a decade and a half believing that my inhaler is a life-saving device. I have only ever used it when I cannot draw breath into my body. But your inhaler, as it turns out, is meant to keep you breathing and you can use it whenever you want if you would like to breathe. I could have been breathing this whole time. Matthew chapter 11, 
It's not gonna be on the screen because this is fresh. This is fresh and hot from the Lord this morning. So I hope you brought your Bible to church, but Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says this, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle and humble in heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so often we read the words of Jesus saying, come to me, come to me. It's not by your strength, it's by my strength. And what we, what we hear, what we interpret is, okay, I need to do it on my own. And then if I absolutely can't do it, I will use Jesus. I will come to Jesus. So I'm gonna do it by myself. I'm gonna be kind by myself. I'm gonna have self-control by myself. I'm gonna clean up my life by myself. I'm gonna overcome this addiction by myself. I'm gonna be a good wife and a good mom and a good friend by myself. And then if I get to the place where I absolutely can't stand under the burden anymore, when I absolutely can't move and I've made such a mess of things that it looks completely irreparable, then I will use Jesus. And Jesus is going, you could have been breathing this whole time. You could have been breathing, but we try to do it by ourselves, church. Stupid. <laughs> Silly. You can come to Jesus no matter the moment and he wants you to because he said my yoke is easy and my burden is light so if the burden is heavy and the yoke is chafing you've picked up the wrong load our job is not to do it our job is to allow God to do it through us and so today it's been my privilege to share with you and Pastor Troy will be back with us next week but this week it would be my prayer for you as we dismiss and we go out in the world today, that you would remember that our job, our job, all of our job is to go out and make disciples, is to go out and tell the nations about Jesus, is to be peacemakers in our lives and that our lives would produce fruit, that our lives would challenge others to know the name of Jesus. But you don't have to do that on your own. You get to do that on the strength of Jesus Christ. So church, may God bless you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. I love you, church. You're dismissed.